0: Welcome
1: to Mavericks. I'm Joey Garcia, and in today's episode, we'll be speaking to one of the leading open blockchain voices in Thailand and Southeast Asia. He's the founder and CEO of BicHub, the largest digital asset trading platform in Thailand. He's a visionary and definitely a Maverick. It's top. This is Mavericks, brought to you by Zappa Bank. Right, well, morning, Top. It's a real pleasure and a privilege to to have you join us here in uh, Zapper Bank in, in Gibraltar. It's really great, and I thought I'd like to kick things off talking about some earlier times in your life. I mean, you were educated way, way back in the day. You had some touch points to the UK, and back then the technology was very sort of nascent. So, you know, what what was the original? trigger for you? What, what, what created the interest? What was the thing that drove you from, you know, a standard, let's call it education, to something that was very, very new and innovative and nascent? What, 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 what were the
0: triggers back then? Um, I guess uh, BitCup and Zapos we are the, the old guys yeah, exactly. in the industry. I've, I've been in this space for, for nine years now. My crypto blockchain journey started in 2013, right after graduation. I, I did my undergraduate and master's degree in the UK and in, in economics. And most of the economics students, you know, traditional career paths would be exactly yeah. to either go for investment banking or, or consulting and to stay in the UK, right? But for me, I, I always wanted to find uh, new experiences. Right? I went to a high school in New Zealand. I did, you know, five years in the UK and I thought, you know, I haven't explored China yet. Mm-hmm. And back then, China was you know f- growing growing very fast um, in 2013 so i decided to apply for a job uh, at one of the um, boutique uh, investment banking firm and i decided to choose a boutique one because i prefer to work in a small company and and get to see every dimension instead of working for all the largest firms and be one of the small you know guys doing the same thing every day so i decided to to fly to china to Shanghai after graduation and have you watched the movie the wolf of wall street yeah absolutely yeah absolutely that's the industry i was involved in after graduation the, so, so the then
1: so sheets. then so then i mean that's sort of the standard sort of let's call it the wolf of wall street channel degree in economics um and this whole new technology that barely existed what i mean what 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 was the first sort of trigger point to
0: to that Right. So I was involved in the pink sheets stocks. Right. Okay. Right? You have uh, Nasdaq, New York Stock Exchange, OTCQB, yeah, yeah, yeah. QX, and then pink sheets. Uh, very few le- regulations, and the stocks are vol- volatile. Right. One day at the office, I came across this um, Bitcoin thing. The price went from you know eleven dollars back then up to a thousand one hundred and fifty dollars um, in a short period of time. I Overtook all the pink sheet stock. Mm-hmm. So I was curious. What is this pink sheet? Stock, you know, Bitcoin thing. I remember talking to my colleagues, um, Darren. Like, do you know? Have you heard of this Bitcoin thing? Why is the price so, like, volatile? Mm-hmm. Right, shoot up very quickly. At, you know, ten thousand percent back then. He didn't bother, right? I, and I was so lucky that I, I did the, I did a few more research, and it came across uh, a blog written by uh, Mark Anderson mm-hmm. uh, called "Why Bitcoin Matters" in two thousand and thirteen. It was a random blog post back then, but now it's a classic you know, New York Times article. And in that article, I got to see uh, the potential of Bitcoin, um, how it is going to bank the unbanked, how we can do micropayments for the first time in human history, you know, how developing countries can leapfrog developed nations with the newest you know, financial infrastructure. And I was exploring what I like, what I don't like after graduation. And I found out that corporate jobs is not for me. Mm. You were a maverick, (laughs) a
1: very early day maverick, definitely. And then, so then, and that takes you back to Thailand. I mean, back then, again, I imagine industries, uh, regulatory authorities, policymakers, lawmakers. I mean, really no one would have back in 2013, 14 understood. What was the initial... Um, reaction back then we've spoken to people from different parts of the world we've seen different things how, how did it evolve in Thailand
0: you know looking back it was a pain pain painful experience what we've been through but on the other side we all, we also achieved miracle, miracles like how we got here today right nine years ago I flew back home after you know Shanghai mm-hmm. I founded the very first Bitcoin wallet company called coins.co.th you know the, the coinbase Yeah. Of Thailand back then. Before that, there were no order book exchange. Right, just a, a wallet uh, that that, that hosts. I mean, local Bitcoin was was a dominant player mm. back in two thousand and thirteen. Mm. And I founded a, a startup, uh, the first Bitcoin startup in the country, from my parents' um, clothing shop. My parents sell clothes. Right, they are some, small SMEs. So I, I asked them for a spare bedroom, uh, a spare room. Sorry, in in the shop and founded the company with a one person laptop. It was so funny. I was doing the arbitrage. I created a blank page, right? So customers can submit the buy order and the sell order. And then on the back end, I would go to local bitcoin. I was free riding on their wallet system. Course, and I was yeah. buying from local bitcoin, selling from local bitcoin, making small spread, growing from there. And I had no life for for like 8 months, 8 to 10 months. Um, I was hassling by myself, you know, making like small spreads, keeping uh, uh, saving up to expand the team. And then I remember the Bank of Thailand issued a formal, a proper uh, formal letter, right, to all the commercial banks in Thailand, saying that uh, Bitcoin could be a Ponzi scheme; the value could go to zero anytime. Do not go anywhere near it. There was an official statement from the Bank of Thailand. And my parents, especially my dad, he was not pleased. Right? They sent me all the way to to Oxford. They had, I mean, we didn't, we didn't. I didn't come from a wealthy family, right? They had a, they had to have lunch boxes every day to save up to send the kids. And I got into a very good school like Oxford University. So the expectation was high, right? To get a huge paychecks like other yeah, friends yeah, yeah. from yeah. after graduation. I was doing this Bitcoin thing nobody have heard of about and. One day the Bank of Thailand said it's a could be a Ponzi scheme, right? Big fight in the family, right? My parents um could not understand this technology, but I, I was stubborn, you know. I I read a blog written by Mark Anderson and saw the vision the vision. Right? The the first utility or application of Bitcoin back then was remittance, right? To to disrupt the Western Union mm, right? yeah. with the blockchain rail. And um I also talked to Dan Shatt, an ex executive of PayPal. Right um, after the first job in Shanghai, I had a quick, like two weeks, like job as a financial consultant. I had I had a chat with him in the uh, Palo Alto, in a, one of the pancake uh, pan- pancake shop, right on one of the branches, and I asked him, "What do you think about Bitcoin?" And he was like, "Top, you're you're the luckier generation. Uh, the original vision of PayPal was not to to be this." boring payment gateway. They wanted to create the digital dollar, right? but the technology wasn't ready back then. They didn't have cloud computing. They did not have blockchain. They did not have smartphone. Right? Uh, everything is ready to be you know, disrupted now. Right? All the infrastructure, you're the luckier generation. Bitcoin is going to change the financial landscape. You know, after talking about connecting the dots, you know, talking to these guys, I was stubborn in the vision. I, I, I pushed forward. Um,
1: Do you think all innovators need to do that? Do you think that when new industries evolve or new technologies evolve, that 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 kind of thought process is needed to get people to that end game? I mean, I suppose anyone in any new, the application of any new, new technology, we've seen it in different parts of the world. I mean, I suppose Skype, arguably, you know, if they'd gone through a system of applying for telecoms licenses in 50 countries, I'm not sure how far they would have got. Do you need that
0: determination? Is that something you'd encourage younger people to pursue? I guess, you know, entrepreneurs are not like nine to five day to day jobs. We're, we're a special species that, I mean, if you see previous entrepreneurs, those who who achieve extreme success, there were the few that see what we call the important truth, the minority few that see the important truth, whereas the majority got it wrong.
1: Mm.
0: That's, the, that's where the opportunity lies, right? The, the tremendous opportunity uh, lies. I'm not the smartest student in class. Right. It's just scraping a pass at Oxford, actually, actually. But looking back, you know, I was one of the few minority group of people. We we are, right? <laughs> the the we were very right about Bitcoin, whereas the rest mm. of the world were very wrong about this technology. I mean, looking back like eight years ago, Bitcoin, when when I when we said the word Bitcoin, people would think, oh, money laundering, oh Absolutely. drug money, oh toy money. Yeah. Oh, dark market, oh, don't go anywhere near it, right? Oh, scammers, right? And I remember we had to even rebrand the company, right? We're not a Bitcoin company, we're a blockchain company. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. In 2014, Bitcoin was money laundering, right? That's the perception. In 2015, 16, oh, blockchain is, is going to change the world. Bitcoin, don't go anywhere near it. I suppose we've seen that before, right? Top, I mean, I would say
1: like early adopters of a lot of new technologies, I'm going to say the internet, um, are not always the good guys. So the earliest adopters of the internet and what it was used for were not necessarily, and you could say in the early days of and people use a Silk Road example, etc. Right. and that's fine. But, I mean, what what do you think that's got us to where we are today and how much more do you think there is to go? Where, where are we on the track? Are we halfway along? Are we at a point where most of the world understands it? Or are we still in early learning days around the technology
0: no i think we're about to reach a um, mass adoption but you were right you know with the newest technology criminals are the first to adopt it right they're, they're, they're the first to use automobiles yeah um telephones to plot conspiracy theory right um and same with bitcoin but that's because their the, the cost is high, I mean, cost of being caught, right? They, they have the incentives to use the, t- the latest technology. Mm. And if they win, the, their profit margin is much higher another industry too so it makes sense for them to adopt the latest technology mm. but it doesn't mean that technology is is a is a bad thing yeah of course right? yeah, yeah, yeah it's like a hammer if you use a hammer to build a house then it's going to increase the productivity but if you use a hammer to hit people then it's going to be a bad technology it's <laughs> yeah, true right? technology that's true. it's it's neutral in yeah. itself and
1: and let me take you back to what you were saying in terms of the um, developments in Thailand, and there was that notice that came out, or the the that your parents saw. This, there was threat of this being treated as a Ponzi scheme. What what happened next? What happened after that?
0: Um, so in two thousand and fourteen, the Bank of Thailand issued a formal letter yeah. to one the banks first, and then what happened next was the anti money laundering officers sent me a, 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 an investigation letter. Um, I was so stressed, you know, imagine starting a company when I was 23. I didn't know starting the business would be this hard because there were no reporting system in place. No traditional banks in Thailand or actually anywhere in the world has ever submitted a Bitcoin transaction report, right? There must be um, someone to create a reporting standard. I tried to reach out to all the top legal firms in the country i have the money to pay i have these issues can you help me and nobody dares to to help because it was in bitcoin was in a gray area right nobody would risk their reputation for this project so we ended up creating a proper reporting standard for the country working with the anti money laundering officers we had to invent new reporting standard new templates you know reporting all the uh, computer, laptops, model, models, IP addresses, uh, you know, all the all the thresholds, because we cannot use the same uh, threshold as fiat reporting uh, yeah, transactions. Too. Mm-hmm. I re- remember after I was, I came back from the um, the uh, anti money laundering office. Half of my half of my employees left the company because they were scared right? after they found out that we were being investigated. We were being investigated. Um, I was so stressed Um, but it's not that's not the end and then the Bank of Thailand sent us a proper like investigation like uh, invitation letter um, to come in and explain what we what 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 we do right do you have a payments license to operate this Bitcoin company do you have a do you have a remittance license to operate this Bitcoin company what about the e-payment license it was in a gray area because there were, there were no regulations mm. we, were the, the, we were the crazy ones that were pushing the frontiers, so um, again, I reached out to all the legal firms. Nobody accepted the job because they don't want to risk their reputation. Imagine Bitcoin eight years ago, like, yeah, yeah. in a gray area. so we ended up pitching you know explaining to regulators what we were trying to do um, for for the country. Uh, how the potential of this technology you know, how it is going to change the financial landscape um, again after I came back to the office half of the employees left we, 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 had, we had to rehire like, and what were
1: the reactions of those initial discussions with those regulatory authorities or were they receptive did they understand it were they willing to develop or what
0: was the reaction back then obviously there, there were a lot of doubts of course and nobody fully understand uh, the Bitcoin technology or the blockchain technology. I still remember we had to rebrand after that meeting, saying that oh we are a blockchain company here, we are doing you know you know innovation, blockchain is gonna change the world. Oh we don't Bitcoin was like a a, a word that we would never mention. Right, and nobody understand that it's actually you know an open blockchain is is it's the same thing, right? Um, so education wasn't catching up, so we had to uh, find the right context to to explain to the the, the regulators and 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 the society um, uh, and, back then. And, and you you almost need top and to drop, but
1: in the same way that you thought thought or saw this as an innovative new and developing area you almost need that from the regulatory authorities as well Um, i think a lot of authorities sometimes react to new technology we can talk about the bitcoin protocol at the early days of like well we already have law let's just try and let's try and cover it all within existing law but what they need to do is think about this as a new and developing ecosystem and think of new standards or new law or new regulation. Sometimes that's a difficult conversation. Yeah, and
0: I love this quote. I have to quote it again. The arrival of electric light does not come from a continuous improvement of candles. Exactly. Right. You can't continue to develop on candles and expect to arrive at electricity. So it requires new thinking, new framework, new regulation. Sometimes legacy system is not good because... It's too costly to to change things and the mindset, and it's just, it doesn't catch up with technology, right? So maybe set set zero may be a good a better thing to to start anew.
1: And were the Thai authorities receptive to that concept? Did they? Is that what has happened in Thailand? I mean, there are regulatory standards in 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 Thailand. The SEC or the Thai SEC were one of the first um, regulatory authorities to actually bring this within the scope of licensing? How did they get there? How, how, or what part did you play in that, in that
0: discussion? Oh, a lot of meetings. You know, we, we even, I remember the meeting with the Bank of Thailand, right? Uh, I was studying the regulations. Uh, the defini- definition of money, how they define money in Thailand, was last updated 80 years ago. Uh, 80 years ago, 70, 80 years ago. Uh, we didn't even use the internet Back then. So Bitcoin is not classified as money because of the... It takes time to update the legacy law, right? Um, and so uh, then the Bank of Thailand has no authority over Bitcoin transaction because it is not classified as money. So now who would be regulating this space? So they throw it to the the SEC right, to regulate this space. And I think the the change was in 2000 and um, actually before the SEC we had another issue the RD the revenue department mm-hmm. came came to our office how do you report taxes are you avoiding taxes you know with all these bitcoin transactions transactions how do you pay taxes i had to defend with so so many levels, so many meetings with the regulators, that we made a small spread. Like we can't pay in Thailand, we pay seven percent VAT.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, the profit was one percent spread on the arbitrage. It's not a stable business model, right? So we had to fight for this SBT special business tax. Right? Nothing. We were the first to launch. You know, all these frameworks regulations on so many dimensions, right? The, um, the Bank of Thailand, the anti-money laundering uh, reports, uh, how to submit taxes with this type of businesses, right? And the, the, the big change was in 2017. I think 1st of April, 2017, Japan announced that mm. uh, Bitcoin is, is legal. Yeah before, if you, if you remember yeah, yeah yeah uh your big camera chain can can you can pay pay stuff with bitcoins buy and sell stuff with bitcoin in japan and that's when like the regulators and everyone started to like, wake up and you know and study more and every day every year there are more and more transactions on the platform more and more people got into uh, you know, Bitcoin transaction, learn about the industry, the technology. So the volume gets bigger and bigger each year, right? Um, and in Thailand, um, by the end of 2017, that's the the second boom, right? The first boom was in 2013, $11 to $1,150. Second boom was $600 to $20,000 right? in 2017, end of 2017. So I... Um, The first company was sold to Gojek. Mm -hmm. They are are the ride-sharing the Uber of Asia, right? They wanted to get into the payment space, acquired the company. And I I left and uh, I participated in the first ever SEC fintech challenge. In 2017, I spoke on more than 300 stages because after Japan announced that Bitcoin is legal, there, there was more awareness and a lot, a lot more interest, and also the price, right, went up very quickly. Um, there are a lot of media press, and they had nobody to interview because nobody has done this apart from me yeah,
1: yeah, in yeah. the country.
0: So I've been sp- spoken on over 300 stages, but I thought that's not enough. We need to demo the potential of blockchain. Um, so I participated in the uh, first ever. SEC Fintech Challenge I created a stock exchange 2.0 back then in Thailand to settle stock it took 3 T plus 3 days T plus three, Yeah. now it's T plus 2 but still not not acceptable yeah right so we created a T plus 0 instant settlement right stock exchange 2.0 and we ended up becoming you know becoming the the winner of that Uh, fintech challenge and I came to the SEC and said well I want to turn this into a real business now I'm the winner of your competition and they kind of lost face a bit because they said well the regulation doesn't permit you to to do this thing the only monopoly um, player in the space is the Thai stock exchange Mm -hmm. regulation states that nobody can compete Um, and I said well what's the point of creating a fintech competition if the winner cannot turn this into a real mm-hmm. business, right? So they started to create this sandbox program, right? So I can we can test in a closed environment. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky because in two thousand and early in two thousand and eighteen, that's when Bitcoin reached the highest point, twenty thousand dollars. The Minister of Finance ordered the Thai SEC right, right to have a regulation for this space in particular. They did not order the Bank of Thailand because Bitcoin is not classified as mm-hmm. money. Right? It, it takes too long to change the defini- definition of money in Thailand. So they ordered the, the, the SEC. And luckily I was working with them on the framework, on the sandbox. So we turned that quickly into a digital asset exchange license. So after realizing that you know, a proper license is coming out, in 2018, I started to fundraise. Right. and I was able to close uh 1.2 million dollars um sorry 2.1 million dollars at a 16 million dollars valuation it was the highest seed round in the Thai startup history back then and then I, I acquired an IT company and turned that into bitcup and we've been growing growing at 1000% every year for, for for 5 years now
1: incredible it's it's a, it's an incredible um story i so i mean today obviously you are by far I mean, you're the largest by far, in 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 Thailand, um, and but but let me ask you. And Bicup is huge uh, in in that market and a very very clear leader in that industry. Um, exchanges like Bicup for the Thai population, they are the interaction or the primary sort of point of interaction with the ecosystem or or the technology. Um, but what would you say? I mean, and this is something I hear come up every so often. People talk about blockchain, etc. But what would you say around the criticism that exists, not not of Bitcoin, but of the the ecosystem, that that we're yet to see real sort of applications and use cases of the technology beyond, let's say, Bitcoin as a unit of value or digital storage of value. The actual all of the all of the stuff that's happened around that, and exchanges are very central points where a lot of activity around that happens. Or um, but but the actual application. What 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 would you say to that, Top?
0: You're right. That is true. That is correct. I think the main KPI of uh, exchanges around the world going forward is not on trading volume, but other activities beyond trading vol- volumes, mm-hmm. other applications. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But the reason, I think the reason why most of the people said they haven't seen, um, you know, utility of this. Technology was because most of the people are living in a bubble. I mean, I have credit cards, I have phones, I have a. I'm staying in a country with price stability, but if you go to Argentina or Venezuela or mm. you know Ukraine right now, um, they, you know, they all African countries, they keep all their wealth in in Bitcoin because of the, the hyperinflation, right? or because of the um, bad, badly run financial infrastructure. Uh, they can leapfrog um, easily with a phone that is connected to the internet. They can migrate their wealth mm-hmm. and start a new life um, without having to leave their cars at the airport, leaving their houses at the airport, and nobody can t- take away your wealth. Right? that's the economic freedom that this technology is able to provide. Mm. And I mean, it is helping right now. Two billion uh, at, people were saying at Davos: two billion people are currently unbanked. They cannot participate in the economy because they're ex- excluded. They are, the, we, they don't have this this financial inclusion simply because they they're not making enough money for for them to be bankable for them for the banks to bank them with profit, profitability mm. because banks have this high sunk cost on. Opening branches, armor trucks to move money around, ATM machines, right? Then they need to need to make money back by onboarding the right clients. Mm. And people in the Philippines or in Asia in particular, right? Fifty uh, percent of the population are unbanked because mm. they don't make enough money for them to be uh, a good customer for the banks,
1: right? Yeah, and and it's mm. it's incredible, isn't it, to see um, there were some uh, global adoption indexes that are published by the Chalisis Group, etc. And the so top ten in the world, I think four of those countries were from the Southeast Asia region. Thailand were eighth in, in the world in terms of the adoption rate. So a lot of that a lot of that makes a lot a lot of it makes complete sense. I think number one was Vietnam in 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 the globe, but the the adoption rates are high, the activity is high within um, within uh, within exchange platforms. Exchange platforms are the primary interaction the point of interaction between that user community and the technology, do you think, because it's such a global industry, is there are there issues around, I mean, I always call it regulatory arbitrage. Thailand are in a very strong position. Um, but if I'm an average user on the street in whatever country I am in the world, do I know the difference between Bikub and FTX or XYZ or whoever it might be? Is Is regulatory arbitrage... An issue? Are, are people or platforms trying to place themselves in countries or jurisdictions where it's easier? Uh, or do people or do users understand that if their counterpart is, in your example, Backup in Thailand, properly regulated, that there's a degree of security? Do you think that there's that
0: understanding within the global community yet or not really? Um, I mean, in the past eight years, we see two clear strategies right? in, in terms of running an exchange either you move fast, break things, apologize later. Right? Like FTX. Right. Um, they were able to gain market share quickly and they founded the company much later than us. Yeah, right? But they cut corners to to gain the market share, move fast, break things and hopefully they can fix things later, you know. And another strat- strategy is uh, the good a good example is Coinbase. Right? They have been the very first to launch the product in the world, right, 2011, I think, um, and they prefer to move in a steady manner. You know, they prefer to work closely with the regulators, right, and they prefer to not cut corners. Right? And it's clear after the incidents last year, it was a tough year. Right? Mm. Luna, FTX, all these three arrows, no dominoes impact. The ones that run properly did not have any impact. We did not get any impact, right? and clearly the regulations. Uh, we're moving towards a, a, a latter strategy everywhere. Mm. Right? There'll be stricter, tighter regulations. Um, I mean, unregulated players um, mess things up, but the regulated players are the one that they are being punished. With even stricter regulations, yeah. Um,
1: but what would you say? Talk to the point of, let's say, I mean, FTX were regulated.
0: I mean, they were regulated. We're not going to go yeah. into standards and assessments. Yeah, I and such. think. I think the key word here is standardization, right? Um, before we talk about transparency, we, we before we talk about governance, right? Before we talk about regulation, we need to have this definition of or clear. Yeah. Standardization yeah. across the world. For example, in Thailand, right, Bit, uh, Bitcap has nine companies now, right, and the the main one is the exchange. The exchange became the CII, CII of the country, the mm-hmm. country's critical information infrastructure. Um, um, we re- it re- it requires us to send daily reports, right, to the regulators. It's almost like proof of reserve, right, and Maybe it's in the hearing right now. We may need an NCR, hundred, hundred percent now, uh, NCR on top of our customers' deposits, and this money, right, net capital reserves, uh, has to be our own money. Apart from keeping customers' money one to one, dollar to dollar, right, and we cannot use leverage customers' money on even money market, nothing, right? savings only, right. But on top of that, we need our own money, NCR. A hundred percent, right? And we are not allowed to use this NCR even for for payroll. Nothing, just money uh, sitting in a a bank as a blanket deposit. Mm. Um, If you talk to other regulated players, they're they're not going to, most of them, even just to submit daily reports, they're going to push back and say, this is too much
1: way way too much i mean yeah. I, I would say way beyond that i would say that there are lots of lots of jurisdictions in the world that have basically sought to introduce standards of regulation of the space that are purely relating to aml and kyc so a simple mm, that's it, right? that that's that that and there are many countries and um, they've looked to comply with the FATF recommendations and introduced standards for registration or licensing, which are very, very basic. Obviously, if you take out of a big global trading platform requirements of governance and segregation of customer assets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that's how you end up in problems. But my, my question is, if I'm an average user on the street, the, the requirements that Big Hub are subject to are extremely high in that global context. But I don't know that. So if I'm an average user on the street, do I know the difference between Bikub or Platform X that ask me for a
0: passport copy when I'm on board? No, I don't think the users would know. I mean, if you look at the traditional banking sector, I don't think average common man users on the street would know if a bank in Gibraltar is safer yeah. than a bank in the UK. Um, but on the back end, I think we need to fix the standardization of a bank in Gibraltar and a bank in the UK. They must meet the same standards. Yeah. Because on the customer facing part, they would have no idea. Yeah. But in the crypto space, um, those who have been in the space long enough, the industry long enough, we would get the word of mouth. That's the extra reputation, um, you know, uh, uh, a branding perspective uh, advantage um, that people tend to, Tend to trust as more,
1: right? and what would you say uh, top to the question that because you know in a post FTX world, um, and let's just use FTX as, as an example of a regulated exchange, an entity, a very centralized, a CFI-related uh, platform, and that created all the issues surrounding it, which we won't you know, go into. The, the the trust has fallen away from this concept of a centralized counterpart and the sort of this whole sort of middleman to middleware um, argument that now look guys there are too many issues around regulated platforms trust the technology don't trust the entity so let's all move to decentralized networks let's move to a DeFi universe let's not use big let's only use dex related platforms is that something that you see happening will that happen more have people lost trust or faith in regulated
0: counterparts, and they trust the technology more, or is that not happening? Uh, it's, it's a matter of time. If, if you talk about short term, medium term, or long term, right? In the short term, like my grandmother or grandfather will not be able to use DeFi. Mm-hmm. We need to humanize the technology, right? People know how to use Skype now. How to use Zoom now, but nobody knows what a TCP/IP protocol is. Mm. Right? People knows how to use Gmail, Hotmail, Yahoo Mail, but nobody, nobody knows what a was an SMTP protocol is.
1: Yeah.
0: So we need to humanize, right? For 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 the short term, um, maybe in the long term, once um, money is no longer paper based, once we are in the Web3, once people are you know equipped with you know how you we are able. Everyone in the in the world can log into their emails now for Web 2. Mm-hmm. In the future, people can log into their own wallet for Web 3. Maybe that's when the DeFi would would take off. But you still need the um, the exchange as a transition as a bridge from the old world to the new world. Otherwise, how are you able to convert fiat to crypto? Because with DeFi, they they cannot they can only allow you to exchange values from you know, digital to digital, not from physical to digital. You mm. need an exchange for that, mm. and also I don't think the the old world would be happy here, right? With fully DeFi applications, you know, running the world. Yeah, we need to strike the balance between the old world and the new world. And that's a, that's a really good point, and I mean, I I always
1: use so I always use um, the ultimate DeFi project out there is the Bitcoin protocol, and. Uh, and access to DeFi or access to BTC um, hasn't largely f- through the 2 billion um, accumulated users around the world, tends to be through regulated counterparts or the biggest percentage, at least is. it might be through Zappo, Coinbase and other platforms, Bicub, etc. cetera. Um, do you think that that will emerge to the wider DeFi space? Will the regulated exchanges like Bicub become the access points to DeFi and you've done some work around that um, already. And so these
0: permissioned entry points, etc. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, the concept is called um, permissioned DeFi, right? Where we are making sure that both worlds are happy. Old world, they are happy with AML, KYC, ZDD, um, you know, all these requirements. Um, and the new world, we must have an open system where they can move fast, break things with greatest freedom of and freedom to innovate. So um, I believe that uh, the exchange would become the gateway, a whitelisted. We will need to whitelist the address, the addresses, and we need to map the face to each addresses. But once they go through the gateway, right, they are allowed to have full freedom to, to innovate. I think that's where the world is heading. It's um, a hybrid model, right? You, you cannot just be uh, moving too slow and be too conservative when the fourth industrial revolution is coming like mm-hmm. with all the technology, AI, big data, blockchain. Where we're, if, I mean, we found this one interesting uh, graphs. If you look back 5,000 years of history, um, you know, in terms of productivity or human development, you see a straight line mostly. And during the industrial revolution, where we have more muscle power, like machine can lift thi- heavy things, right? We leverage on technology. Then we see the you know the exponential improvement. But now we're in the phase where we have more like you know intelligent power, mind power, AI, fourth industrial revolution. It's gonna be through the roof the amount of the the, the innovations that will come out mm. it will change the way we, the way we communicate it will change the way we work you know it will change the way we travel it will change the businesses right entirely so we cannot move too slow either mm. but again we cannot move fast and break things like like Facebook because because we hold we, we have a lot of customers money right so we need to strike the right balance and that's why the word fintech comes in we're not a financial company we are not a tech company either. We're not. We don't move fast and break things like tech company. We are a fintech company. Right, strike right, the right balance between the the two worlds.
1: I, I think that's a really I I think it's a incredibly correct approach to this. But let me put a pure DeFi hat on for a second and say, well, how would you respond to the question of well, you know, DeFi is around accessibility and the democratization of finance and completely open and transparent networks that anyone at any part of the world with a mobile phone should be able to gain access to and you're somehow restricting that not not you but anyone that builds a permission sort of entry exit point system is is it restricting defi or do you think it's the the correct and only way to approach it
0: difficult question i think the best analogy to answer this question is to look back at the the phone system do you remember the nokia yeah, three three one zero days it's yeah. a closed system that's that's like a traditional banking services it's a closed system right innovations c- come come from the top down the CEOs and all he can think about is three things right the phone can call people can mm-hmm. send SMS and pl- can play a snake game and that's the end of the innovation and then we have this iPhone system where, you know Steve Jobs invented an open system but regulated open system right uh, we have this application store on the iPhone, right? The only invention of Steve Jobs, Jobs was an iPhone, and he never has to invent again, right? The rest of the world, people, every corner around the world uh, can think, you know, and invent invent new things for him. Now an iPhone can call a taxi. Now an iPhone can, you know, send food to your home, can find your date, you know, can I don't know, send money across. Um innovation comes from anyone anywhere but in a regulated manner.
1: Yeah.
0: And is it, Nokia changing the world or iPhone changing the world, right? We, we that's can a also, very good analogy. Very right? good at, we we yeah. can change the world like an iPhone where we allow DeFi to go, you know, with all these innovations, open system, but obviously you have a regulated app like Apple Store version. That's a very but, good that's a very
1: good analogy. That's a very good, I really like that. And let me, so let me ask you another question that sort of, it's not exactly the same question, but it attaches to the same sort of concept. Um, you know, the the interactive, um, let's call it payment rails uh, between, or in the, let's call it the web three exchange, DeFi universe, um, everyone talks about stable coins, um, that they are the core sort of payment system or network of of, of that world. Um we also hear a lot about cbdcs and you've been involved a bit around that etc do you do you see that in similar ways do you see cbdcs taking over stablecoin infrastructure do you see them existing side by side do you see like key differences between them where where do you, where do you see the future
0: in that in that in that context oh i think they complement each other mm. because we will eventually move towards full interoperability of payment systems um if you look I mean the internet space was a good example right before the internet arrives communication used to be restricted and in and, and, and cl- in a closed system right you, you, you all the television channels are restricted you need to get a license radio channels you know are being monitored uh, you know uh, by the government um you don't have the freedom to communicate to share information. Mm. But once we have this TCP IP protocol, internet protocol, the Web 2 stuff, right? it democratizes communication. Right? It democratizes information. So now you have the freedom uh, to choose which application uh, you want to communicate on. Mm-hmm. I know you, you guys use WhatsApp here. We use Line in Thailand. Somebody uses Facebook Messenger. Someone prefers Skype. Somebody mm-hmm. prefers Microsoft Teams we have the freedom to to choose yes. uh, which you know applications we want to communicate on
1: mm.
0: same with the value exchange industry before it's, it's a closed system like banking is regulated right um, credit cards um, their own and there are only a few options to exchange value but you know blockchain is going to democratize value in the same manner that the internet democratizes information sharing. Mm. So people will have the freedom to choose mm-hmm. which platform they want to exchange value on. Um, so you know whether it is CBDCs or stable coins or Bitcoin protocols. Eventually, eventually we will have full full interoperability. Mm. Like I don't know. Like now you are, you can upload the say this podcast on YouTube. I can also copy and paste this video file on Facebook, on Instagram, on mm. on TikTok we have full inter- interoperability even though Facebook has a different is a different owner to I don't know it's TikTok or Instagram or right? Facebook they have different owners different companies mm, but, mm, but mm, the mm. files the information is with we can exchange the information with full interoperability now mm. and same with values you know if you're on uh, CBDC and if if I uh, say imagine I think in the next wave in-game assets would be huge Imagine a 13 year old collecting swords in a game and he, he gets hungry. He walks over to Burger King. He can wire his swords in game assets, right? And when he transfers the swords, it will automatically convert into whatever values that Burger King wants mm-hmm. Burger King points, Burger King coins, CBDC, BTC. The recipient doesn't need to know what the sender, like what value the sender sent in. They just know that oh, it hits my wallet with this format that yeah, I want yeah, 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 yeah. with full interoperability. Right? We, uh, all the flows would be humanized. On the back end, do you think? Do you think top
1: that? I mean, stablecoins are. I mean, they are built on open networks and CBDCs. Um, I mean, we don't quite know yet, but I mean, they are effectively forms of programmable money to an extent. There, there could be situations where CBDCs are restricted by how much can be transferred across a particular border or how much can be held by an individual. So it has other programmability that I expect will be introduced in a much more closed system. Um, Whilst stablecoin networks are much more open in that context. Do you agree with
0: that? Um, You know, like internet, intranet and extranet, they can coexist. Yeah. right. And to have Full interoperability technology. It doesn't have to lie on just rely on Dex, decentralized exchange protocol. The exchange could be the technology to to have full interoperability between a closed system, say fiat or CBDC, to an open system. Right, we could be the gateway with the interoperability yeah. um, technology.
1: Yeah. Oh, I and by the way, I mean I not to talk. Too much about it, but definitely from our perspective, from a Zappa perspective, marrying the two is is critical. We see that as fundamental. The interaction of a blockchain-based payment system like USDC and your bank account, uh, your USD bank account, that that is something that obviously we've developed to bring so marry marry the two together, bringing together the old and the new. Which is, I think, it's very exciting. Um, but let let me let me ask you one other question. Um, because I've seen and read and people follow developments that are happening all over the world. Um, I think there's been some focus points in some parts of the world. I think Singapore would be one. Hong Kong, slightly different direction. Um, There was some uh, public commentary not that long ago in Singapore about potentially, I'm not going to say restrict, but there's a concern around retail access to retail user access to the ecosystem. There's risk, there's volatility risk. Um, Hong Kong took a very different direction originally it was institution only now that that is also changing where do you see generally speaking the world moving in that in that context do you think that making a user aware of the risk let the buyer beware they're aware of what they're acquiring is enough or will you see authorities try to restrict retail access to the ecosystem more and more are there other ways you think that that will happen or will be developed? What are your thoughts generally on that?
0: Um, we need more education. Mm-hmm. Um, restriction or banning technology doesn't work. Yeah, completely uh, agree. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it works on theory, but but not, not it's not feasible, it's not practical. So, and you, we see that the previous booms right, in the past, 2013, 17 booms, 21 boom. Uh, were driven by retail investors. And I don't think they will stop, they, they, we, especially the, from the operator. We see more and more uh, retail onboarded every year. Right? Um, but I believe the next wave is going to be driven by institutional mm-hmm. investors. So I think I think we will have both retail and institutional investors entering the space. If not, even to the extent that some of the uh, countries' reserves, right, central banks' uh, mm. reserve currency, would be pegged in Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin could be one of the country's reserve. Now we have the SDR, right, uh, Special Drawing Rights, created in nineteen sixty nine by the IMF. You know, the IMF coin, yeah, b- b- weighted average of the five basket of currencies. Right? We have gold, and and it, I think. It's in, in, inevitable that we are moving towards uh, Bitcoin as another of value, um, not just institutional, not just for retail, but at the country's level. That that's I, I mean
1: I I really hope that 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 does happen. Um, and but it, it raises another question in my head, and I wanted to ask you specifically, given your experience um, in in Thailand, we're seeing a lot today. Um, there are a lot of pressure points emerging. In different parts of the world, very publicly in the US, uh, Europe to an extent, different different parts of the world are, are thinking about how digital asset or crypto ecosystems are allowed to interact with existing financial services uh, ecosystems, uh, primarily the banking world, and that's creating some big pressure points. Certainly on USD rails, etc. What, what what is the position in? Thailand of the central bank or commercial banks? Do they see this as a regulated industry that they need to facilitate and support? Are there also concerns that are emerging in Thailand? I'm interested because we'll have listeners from different parts of the world that have very different concerns around how their are local banks. I'm curious to
0: hear about how things have developed in Thailand. Um, to be honest, central bankers around the world do not like bitcoin they do not like cryptocurrencies, right but they also understood that you cannot simply ban the Uh technology right it's not it's not feasible it's not practical to ban so people start to talk about governance more and more even at the global stage at at davos right it's clear that central bankers do not like cryptocurrencies but everyone understood that you have to live with it you have to Technology will evolve, right? Mm-hmm. You evolve anyways. You, you cannot stop the innovations to happen. You can only push the innovations to happen elsewhere and come back and, you know, serve you um, later. Um, and, but you're going to lose the opportunity as a country. So they talk about uh, governance uh, instead of banning um, more and more. Um, and recently with the war, um, people realize that, you know, SWIFT can be uh, weaponized, right? Um, and obviously, I think everyone is looking to de-risk and looking for alternatives, um, you know, and blockchain technology could be an alternative way. It's just like those people in the uh, Argentina, Venezuela, right? Bitcoin helps them to keep st- store their wealth as an alternative. Mm. So I think... You know, with SWIFTs and the the war happening, uh, it's clear that we need a global payment system that should not be used as a rep- rep- weaponized payment. You know, system. and,
1: and that, that that I I I completely understand. But and but then, like from your perspective as a Thai uh, registered and regulated platform, in terms of the the, the local Thai bat banks. That support, they do support you. They are, remain open to that business and
0: oh. interactive completely, right? We have to, to separate into two sides. If you talk about commercial banks, yes, you know, they can't wait to, to, to innovate and to explore right, this industry because they know it's the future of their industry. We cannot stick to paper money forever. How are we gonna meet net zero, for example? This is like a basic question, right? We emit uh, 52 billion tons per year and we need to get to zero, right? Net zero within within the next 10, 20 years. And fossil fuel accounts for only 26% of the 52 billion tons. And during COVID, we stopped flying, we stopped all the restaurants, hotels, and we still emit 50 billion tons. So that means we have to reduce every dimension of our lives. We have to we have to have green clothes, you know, fabric, green plastic, green, green cement, you know, electricity car. We cannot keep killing trees for paper money. It's obvious that money would be digital. It's, it's the future of their industry. And what about the two billion people that are currently unbanked because the traditional banks, uh, banking system, the cost is too high. The capex, opex cost of opening bank branches, armor trucks to move money around. So they know this is where the world is heading. Um, and they want to be in, but they can't. Right? On the central bank banking side, right? they don't encourage. Uh, because they have different KPIs here. Right? If, you, if you understand them, if, if you look uh, at each entity in terms of their KP, KPIs, right? mm-hmm. you understand the SEC more because their main KPI is investors' protection. That's why in some countries they are not allowed retail investors to to trade. If you look at commercial banks, their KPI is to thrive and survive in the fast-changing world, right? And if you look at the central banks, they they, they care about financial stability. So obviously, they don't want uh, customers' deposits or infrastructures of the countries to be playing with the newest technology first, because they care about financial stability, um, capital control, right? Monetary. Yeah policy, uh, effectiveness. Imagine if everyone is using Bitcoin. Um, There's no monetary intervention with fiat. They cannot control the interest rate. They cannot control the inflation. Um, So everyone has different KPIs. Mm. But I think the key is, the key is we need a conductor to make sure that all the musicians, musician plays the same song as one country, one KPI, one Thailand, one, you know, one region strong. Hmm.
1: That that I mean, I, and I really hope that 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 can happen. I mean, it's great to hear that there is that sort of approach uh, from the commercial banks in in Thailand as well. Um, particularly given what we're seeing in different parts of the world. But let me, let me ask you a couple of almost, I think, close to final questions. But um, there's a lot of activity in lots of parts of the world. Southeast Asia is one. Thailand, absolutely. Where do you see the next five years in terms of? adoption numbers or rates. We hear a lot about um, play to earn games. We hear a lot about unregulated NFT ecosystems as as well. We have your thousand percent growth rates per annum that, that hopefully will continue. Um, lots of different things are happening. There are new protocols, new infrastructure developing, new concepts all of the time. What, what's your, what's gonna be the winner over the next uh, five years, where do you see the biggest uh,
0: focus or area of development? What, what do you think? Asia, Southeast Asian region, in particular. There are a few, and there are a few reasons why. Because right now we are living in a fragmented world. Right, there's a decoupling going on between China and the US, Russia and Ukraine, right? Not just left and right, but also global north and global south divide, inequality, right. Supply chain, uh, are separated, are fragmented, like post-COVID, right? If you see, uh, there's this clear trend where all the Chinese stocks are being delisted in the New York Stock from the New York Stock Exchange, Nasdaq, and relisted in Hong Kong, right? Um, and, and it's clear that the world is not like the same as the the previous world where we we see you know globalization. It wins for everyone um, we are moving towards a deglobalization um, fragmented world asean we are the one that swings the vote right we are the neutral ground we don't, we don't pick the sides we 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 don't have the aging population issues everyone mostly you know in the philippines in in, in indonesia the average age is are, of working population is less, less than 30 years old Right, we are rich in natural resource. Right, um, you know, sixteen. Uh, we are we are only able to map sixteen percent of the ocean. Right, the other like eighty-four percent are undiscovered. Uh, a lot of hidden re- resources there to untapped, and. They need stability. Investors need stability. They don't want to invest in China you know, yeah. with the fight with the US decoupling or global north, global south with the digital divide. Um, they will look at ASEAN as a, uh, the new S-curve. Right? After 2024, we will see an unprecedented uh, uh, amount of investment coming into the Southeast ASEAN region because of various factors. But also, legacy is not a good thing. You know, legacy banking system, legacy law, ASEAN had nothing built, compa- I mean, but we had something built, but but not as deep-rooted as the advanced nation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Right, there will there be less people lobbying around because they need to make yeah. their money back on the I- initial investment, yeah. previous investment, the sunk cost. Right, we can leapfrog with the latest technology. So I think the next growth
1: is definitely in Asia and then and then so and if that does happen or hopefully it will happen for you guys as well what 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 would you say are the biggest risks or the biggest blockers or the biggest issues that could could restrict that
0: level of growth in the asian region um maybe two two things um one is asian as specific is uh rules of law yeah. you know rules of law in democracy democratisation uh democracy countries are going down everywhere especially in asia so we need a good rules of law you know because most of the countries are military run to be honest right Mm -hmm. but to be to we have a a, uh thriving business we need you know fairness and good good business practice and governance right and the second issue uh obstacle would be regulations yeah. how do we fix the standardization how do we strike the balance between moving fast and breaking things and, yeah. and yeah. protecting yeah. the investors the right balance right
1: yeah i completely agree um to all this is all um, extremely interesting Well, one 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 other thing i'm going to ask you one final question before i do something else but um pick up you guys are a dominant force in that in that area what are your next steps? Are you moving out to other parts of the world? What, what are the natural sort of growth steps for you guys?
0: Yeah, um, Big Hub is the biggest blockchain digital assets ecosystem in Thailand. Yeah. I would say 99% market share. We have conquered, conquered Thailand, right? And the, the next phase is to become a regional company, uh, group of companies. So we hope to expand our products and services beyond, beyond Thailand. Uh, we're looking, we're eyeing Southeast Asian region as the new market. And I don't think we're going to be dominant in Europe or in other places because we, have, we believe in this thesis that after 2024, that's where the biggest growth lies, which is in Asia.
1: Well, that, 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 that does sound fantastic. And that sounds very exciting. And I really you know, hope you guys can do that. And I hope that we can be on board with you as, as that develops as well and support you along the way. Um, we're very, very different, obviously. Um, but there are lots of things, that, as you know, that we're exploring. And I'm, I'm very excited about that as well. I'm going to conclude things with one uh, one quote that I, I read of yours. And I'm going to read it just because it, it was it was really fantastic. And it was on a public social media post of yours. And you said, um, Our voice is not a measurement of value beyond the goals we set. Uh, we'll make mistakes and fall short, uh, put ourselves out on the battlefield experience the thrill of victories, endure challenges and give our all for a noble cause and learn from our failures. And I think that's a really, really strong message and one I really support. Um, We'll all do that in our very different ways, Um, but it's an extremely strong message. And for us, it's been wonderful having you here, a real pleasure. And um, I do hope we can continue to talk and explore things moving forward. But thank you for your time. Thank you for having me here.